Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have modern mystic and best-selling author, Mary Reed. And Mary and I have a wonderful conversation about humanity's great shift in consciousness and where we're all heading in the future and much, much more. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Mary Reed. How are you doing, Mary? I'm very well, Alex. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the show and reaching out. And and we're here to talk about not only your amazing journey, but your book, Humanity's Epic Awakening, epic. which it is pretty epic what's going on in the world today. It is indeed. So before we get into this great shift that we're going through and this awakening, uh, your story is fairly interesting to say the least. So what was your life like prior to your spiritual awakening before you started down strongly the spiritual path? Um, Well, first of all, most importantly, I was very agnostic. I was staunchly agnostic. I I didn't grow up with a lot of big questions about life. Um, I grew up around a bunch of Southern Baptists in New Mexico, and I couldn't relate at all. And uh, so I just, you know, I only ever wanted to just be successful and normal and do good things in the world to help people. And I grew up to do that as a healthcare executive based in Washington, D.C. I did clinical research for many years and then the nonprofit industry, mostly related to AIDS, and uh, ended up working in Africa and all kinds of normal things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was very busy being successfully normal, in the summer of 2000, I started to hear a voice And this voice, it was just like this vibration that rose up in me very clear. And it said that I was supposed to be doing something very important, which I already thought I was. So I tried to ignore it. And it just kept getting more persistent and more pronounced. And after six months of that voice, there was a series of events that unfolded that led me to need to find out what was happening. So I went to see a psychotherapist friend of mine in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I'm like, I don't have any idea what's happening, but there's this thing keeps rising up in me. So uh, I went to see her in the middle of December 2000, and I spent two days with that beautiful friend of mine going into these, unexpectedly into these mystical realms. And the very first thing that happened as we're sort of sinking into kind of a deep state to explore what's this thing that uh, I'm supposed to be doing. I went into the body and being of Jesus on the cross at the moment of crucifixion. And then suddenly I just know I have all this information in an instant about 
all the things that have been happening in our human evolution, all that led to that moment, the conflict nature of our world, what happened from that moment forward, uh, all of this information. And then the next day, went back into those same kinds of realms, had a big meeting with my soul group, a big meeting with Moses about the conflict nature of the world. And so in one weekend, I got information about the New Testament, and the Old Testament, all in one fell swoop. And then I had to go back to my office in Washington, D.C. and just do my normal work. <laughs> and it it really just completely shifted absolutely everything. It was a real blowout experience for me and extremely confusing. And then all these experiences just started happening spontaneously, just, you know, as I'm into or out of sleep, as I'm, you know, relaxing somewhere, walking down the street, I would just have these huge metaphysical experiences. So they just kept happening and kept happening and kept happening. So um, my idea of normal was quickly falling apart. And uh, so I tried to seek help. I went to therapist after therapist after therapist trying to figure out what's happening to me. Why is this happening to me? And most importantly, what do I do with this? What does one do with all of that really weighty divine perspective on things? And uh, the therapist could not help. I went to Reiki practitioners and shamans and allopathic doctors and then back to therapists. I saw more than 40 practitioners over the next 10 years. And uh, no one could help me. This is before, you know, you could jump on Google and type in consciousness or spiritually transformative experiences. That wasn't a language that we had back then. So um, in the 10th year, um, trying to live in these two very discordant worlds, this reality that seemed unnecessarily cruel and confusing compared to all of this incredible, easy, beautiful, loving wisdom. Uh, in the 10th year, my normal world fell apart. All of the things that I had been successful in, my job, my money, my home, my relationship, my family, like it was just like the eggs just dropped. And there was no way to put them together. And all the while, this spiritual stuff is just pushing harder and harder on my psyche. So it ended up tipping my world dramatically upside down. And that culminated in a serious suicide attempt in March of 2011. I took 97 prescription pain and sleeping pills with three glasses of wine. I said my prayers and then just really hoped that all of this is telling me that I'm supposed to do my work from the other side. That's not anything that I had been shown. It was just that I was in such despair that I felt like maybe I'm just being called to the other side. And then two days later, I just woke up. I just woke up entirely on my own. I woke up entirely sick and unable to control my motor skills, um, but I was alive. But I still woke up into the same two worlds I went to sleep in. So I was still massively confused. Uh, so it was then finally in that massive state of defeat, that I just quit. I quit absolutely everything. I quit trying to be normal. I quit trying to figure it out. I quit trying to make a plan. I quit trying to seek help. And I remember sitting on the edge of my couch and saying, you know, God, you can see I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, if there's something that you all think I'm supposed to do, then you're going to have to lead the way. I can't be the project manager for my life anymore. I can't do it. So then 
in that really supreme state of surrender, all the doors just started opening one by one by one, really easy, really quickly. It was in completely a path of ease from that point forward. And within six months of that suicide attempt, I was invited to India to meet with a high Tibetan Lama to tell them about my experiences. Um, I was invited to stay and I ended up living in a Buddhist nunnery in the Himalayas for the next several years to finally just stop everything, allow everything to integrate, allow much greater perspectives to come, um, allow com myself community where I could, you know, talk with people about what was happening. And yeah, so that's how then I've been on that mystical path ever since, since 2011. That's, thank you for sharing that. It's it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable uh, because, oh, you know, a lot of times you hear about spiritual awakenings. It's all, you know, rainbows and puppy tail, pu puppy dog tails and, you know, and, 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 and cotton balls, <laughs> you know, cotton candy and stuff. And it's not <laughs> always that way. I mean, even if you look into the spiritual teachings of some of these ascended masters, it wasn't an easy path for them. I mean, with Jesus alone, for God's sakes, uh, it wasn't an easy path of, of, of a spiritual awakening and what they're doing. But, uh, I appreciate you sharing that with me, with me and with the audience, because it's, it's a clear idea of like, I always ask people like, when you hear the voice, do you think you're going nuts? Because a, a sane person would say, I mean, if you're in a mystical space and you're, you know, you understand, maybe you deal with that a little bit differently, but if you're just you know, an agnostic walking down the street doing my thing, and all of a sudden a voice pops up. What was that initial that initial feeling? I'm like, and you held off for six months before you started to seek help. How did how did you even handle? Well, the six I, I months? held off longer than that for for uh, trying to seek help because in the well, first of all, that voice was. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, I describe it, uh, it. It was definitely a vibration that felt like it was translated in the same. It just kept saying the exact same thing. You're supposed to be doing something very important. And I describe it as, you know, when, um, you know, when Barry White hits a bass note and there's like mm -hmm. this after sound vibration, it felt like that kind of vibratory thing. Um, and so it didn't, it was unusual. It wasn't anything I had experienced before. So I tried to ignore it. I just thought, well, that was weird. And then it just kept showing up in elevators and when I'm on conference calls and when I'm driving or on airplanes, or it was just relentless. Uh, so yes, I thought it was very odd. And this is why eventually after six months, I'm like, I'm going to have to figure out what, what this is. Um, but then when there were the the huge metaphysical experiences, gigantic experiences. When I started going to therapists, therapists didn't have the resources to work with someone like me. Yeah. So obviously they thought I was having delusions of grandeur or uh, that I was hallucinating. Some believed it and were intimidated. So then they wanted me to tell their future or explain why their boyfriend broke up with them or, you know, like very weird <laughs> things. So it was really confusing, massively confusing. Uh, and I didn't have any way to talk about it. You know, it, as you know, when people have near-death experiences, they often say it's so hard to talk about. These are the realms beyond words, and they're called that for a reason. It's very hard to describe everything. So I didn't have the way to talk about it. I didn't have any framework references, you know, for because I didn't have a religious um, upbringing. 
So when people say, I get this a lot, people want what I have. They want to, you know, these big metaphysical mm-hmm. connections. I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not that simple. And it's not that, I mean, yes, it's exquisite when you're in it, but then there has to be a way to live with it in this world. So it can really be devastating. And as you've probably heard from people who have near-death experiences, you start wanting that high again and again and again. And this world mm-hmm. feels unnecessarily cruel and hard and complicated. Mm-hmm. It's like, why in the hell do I have to keep living in here when I can, you know, this stuff is available? Why do I have to live in both and I can't be here all of the time? Why can I not go in and get really clear direction on all of this? Like there's, you just, you know, you walk around with a lot of why and I want more and that sort of stuff. So it's really it's very confusing. It's when you get a peek behind the veil is a dangerous peek because that's why people in psychedelics, when they go in with psychedelics, they, uh, as a yogi once told me, you walk through a door that you were not invited into mm-hmm. and you must walk very carefully because yogis spend decades of meditation and practice to walk through those doors and to be able to handle what they see outside or someone like yourself that is being prompted to walk through those doors. Yeah, is, this is why I'm sorry. This is why in my in my teachings and the the guides that I have, they always talk about taking your time. That it's a process you must integrate. You absolutely must integrate. That you know this is a this is a very compassionate process when you allow it to be something that's very careful and methodical and lovingly embraced and received. You know, you have to acclimate. Right, exactly. It's kind of like uh, if you've worked your way up from zero to a billion dollars, let's say, and you've taken 20 years to get to that place, you understand how to work with money as opposed to if you're at the zero point and someone gives you a billion dollars, you have no understanding how to deal with that kind of energy, that kind of responsibility. So there is a learning process, an acclimation process uh, through this whole thing. Now, you did mention that you went through to, to to your friend, the psychotherapist, and you went into these realms and these mystical experiences. Can you share a few of these, the most impactful, if that if that's even a way of saying it, <laughs> but some of the some of the highlights of these mystical experiences, so the audience can kind of understand where you're coming from? Yeah, you know, um, as I talk about in my book, Humanity's Epic Awakening, uh, I have an incredible scale of experiences. So my very first experience, as I mentioned, was going into the body and being of Jesus on the cross at his moment of physical death in the crucifixion. And I literally have the death experience of Christ where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm in him, I'm as him, I can feel my head very heavy and it's sort of bobbing uh, as this, in this experience. And then the moment of physical death, like my spirit is like pulled from the body, just like you hear people in in an NDE. It's just sucked out. And then I'm hovering above the crowd. And then I I can go into the, the emotions of absolutely everybody present at that scene. And I'm experiencing the emotions and all of the information as though it's me instantaneously everybody and i can see how it's all connected to the momentum that led to that experience what happened afterwards what's happening in current day related to like it's the scale is unfathomable it's really unfathomable mm-hmm. and in the same way i have experiences of going into the the mind of buddha 
going through the, the lineage of Dalai Lamas all the way back to leaping into the mind of Buddha at his first moment of enlightenment. And so I'm seeing everything the Buddha saw and understanding things in the way that Buddha saw them before any teachings came out of it, before any language was used to describe them. Uh, and then going into, in one of the experiences, my very first moment of existence, like the first moment of existence, and understanding what is the God source and how is existence taking place and what is existence and all of this sort of stuff. So these just, I mean, they're just, they just go on and on and on. And at the same time, I also have experiences of going into literally the quantum patterns at play between perceiver and that which we perceive and all of the relationship that's going on for us to perceive form, for, for us to perceive other, for us to perceive that we're separate from this mm -hmm. thing that we call God <clears throat> at a quantum level. So it, the scale is the entire continuum, which is why I can write about the trajectory of humanity from where we've been, where we are now, and where we're going, because I've experienced, embodied all of these various different stages from the divine perspective to be able to tell a story that's quite different than what we normally tell from sort of our human experience. From my understanding of talking to so many people like yourself on the show, I understand that on the other side, there is no time and that there is no past, present, or future, that it's all happening at the exact same time. And that when you solve a problem or, or you learn a lesson in this life, it ripples to past lives, even though there's no past. Parallel past. Parallel, yeah, yeah parallel <laughs> past. It all seems to be happening at the same time. Even the future, that's how there's probabilities of the future. More likely certain things will happen, but we have free will of going different places. So when you say things like that, of like, oh, I understand where we are, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. If you've tapped into that kind of matrix, if you will, you would have a view of all of that mm -hmm. at the same time, which is incomprehensible mm -hmm. to our um, our hardware. Uh, our hardware, meaning our brains, can only go very limited. I mean, the Akashic Records as an idea mm. is infinite. Mm -hmm. The the term infinite is, it's still scratched, making quantum physicists and physicists like hurt their head with the yeah. idea of, of Yeah, of because infinity. it's hard to grasp the idea of infinite in a finite consciousness, right? An idea right. of this, this linear, you know, right. sort of thing. But if you imagine, uh, first of all, what you've said about it's, it's really hard to grasp is the reason why I've told the story in the way that I did. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you set up a context so that the mind can comprehend a little bit and see the patterns that I speak about that are at play, that we can relate to, we understand, we know that we're experiencing these things. And uh, so I, you can imagine like, uh, so you can imagine like a circle, let's just call this a one plane kind of circle. And if you're in the circle, if you're any point in the circle to get from point A over to point B, you have to, it takes, it's a linear, you know, sort of process. But if you rise up and you see that circle from a higher perspective, everything is visible at once, right? Everything is visible at once. So these are the perspective, like 
from the tiniest perspective in there to the greatest perspective is what I've embodied. But I described this idea of like what we're waking up into, for example, that we will experience as a future <clears throat> is much like, you know, the, the, the light of a new star. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It just takes a really long time for it to come into our awareness. The light is already there, but for us to perceive it just takes some time. So we're sort of waking up into the presence of that light. It's the same thing with what we're waking up into. We're coming into these higher and higher and higher frequencies and vibrations and access to understandings and wisdom that we're coming into, but they're already here. It's not that we're creating these sorts of things. The information for the internet wasn't created. That information was already there. We just came up into it mm-hmm. and could access that. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. And So it's the same thing in our awakening. This is what we're awakening to is that which is ever more available to us in our higher frequencies. Well, the concept of the internet is almost unfathomable because it's just it's everything that we know yeah. instantly. Where when I hear near-death experiencers talk about, oh, I was on the other side and all of it, I had a download and I automatically knew what quantum physics was. I, yeah. I grasped all of it instantly. The entire all of it, it's an entirety. I can't bring it back because my my brain couldn't yeah. just couldn't process it. It's like trying to take a video game from today and trying to jam it into a, a video game system from 1985. Like it just doesn't have the hardware to do yeah. it. So it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. So let me ask you then, where, where do you think humanity is going? You know, where what is your current view of uh of humanity's evolution right now? Well, first of all, I think it's incredible. I think it's wondrous and amazing. And when you can see it from sort of the healing perspective, all that is happening that is in transformation and and key to that is all of these, the healings that's going on. When you look at all the chaos that's underway, you can understand that that chaos is important because it is happening because of all of this old pain that is rising up from the crevices of humanity, this pain that's always been here. We didn't just create pain, it's always been here. So in the awakening, in our healing, coming into more of our wholeness, nothing's gonna be left behind. And that in particularly means the pain. So that pain rising up is gonna be expressed through all of this chaos, all of this mayhem and mess. And so the more that this divine presence is palpable and accessible here, it's pulling up all of these things to be included in this healing. And that means it's pulling up more and more and more of the things that feel uncomfortable, the things that feel un, uh, that feel confusing, the things that we've wanted to repress or reject. Now it's very, it's very front and center. So all of this that's coming up is now seeking a different relationship and reaction than we've ever had. Because in the past, the way that we would react to that is just to continue the momentum of pain. We hate it, we reject it, we try to conquer it, we try to, you know, uh, 
do away with it. And nothing in us wants to be rejected. Mm. Right? We've had this, this uh, conquering mentality, and I talk a lot about this conquering mentality of humanity's evolution. Even in the, the Christ crucifixion experience, um, in that there was all of this information that was very clear about mankind had made a decision at that time that mankind didn't want a good Christ that healed. Mankind wanted a good Christ that conquered. And that's a very different dynamic to continue on in how society works, right? That's the fundamental systems of our world is this conquering mentality. You know that in your your film industry because every story requires a conflict arc, right? You require this tension and this the good conquering the bad, right? But you know, ultimately, because we are all one, because we are all from the same exact source, we keep employing this idea of trying to make one part of us make another part of us go away. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that we can't. We've never been able to. We've never been able to love our bad away, right? We just keep recycling it. And the reason is we keep using love like a weapon to try to conquer or do away with this bad. And what that bad is, is all of our pain. It's the expressions, these iterations of pain that are crying out so loudly for love. And what we're coming into is the realization that, oh my God, we're that love. We're the answer to that cry. We're not the thing that continues to try to reject it or conquer it or destroy it. We're the thing that says, oh my darling, Come on in. Come on into this home of love. And that's the transformation. Exactly that is the time where we begin to transform all of that pain into a healing, creative co-creator of love with us. It, this, it, it sounds like it's a spiritual facial where it's pulling out all the pores and the black gook that's inside of your pores to clean them out. <laughs> Oh my God, I've never heard that analogy, but yeah, that works. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it's but like literally the, 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 this new awareness is pulling out all these crevices. You said these crevices, first thing that popped in my head, I was like, oh, it's a spiritual facial. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is a cleansing. You know, you hear a lot of teachers um, talk about this time being a, a time of, of clearing and cleansing, and that is exactly what's happening. <clears throat> and we get to be part of that process. And, uh, you know, this is all about changing our relationship to what's happening, changing mm-hmm. our orientation from an orientation in this separation consciousness into an orientation into a more embracing unit of consciousness. But let me ask you, though, without the negative uh, vibrations or the negative aspects of the things we're talking about, this gook that we're dealing with, this chaos, without it as a counterbalance to the light, without the dark, the light can't shine. It needs the dark to counterbalance it so it can grow, this this kind of thing that is happening now. So in other words, from my understanding, you have to understand pain in a certain level to understand love and 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 here at this realm not at the other realm well in this um, realm. what's your opinion are, my experiences are a little bit different um okay, I don't, 
my experiences aren't that we have to, it's that through the way that it's happening, we can understand light, but light doesn't require dark to shine. Light is just light, light shining, right? Sure. sure. So, uh, and um, we don't require the pain, but we do experience the pain because the, all of the origins of pain, I have experienced this again and again and again and again. The mm-hmm. origins of all pain start with our belief, our deeply held belief that we're separate from this thing that we call God, this life force, this divine love. And so when we're separate from this, our very nature, our very source, there's an innate pain. There's an an innate sense of abandonment and loneliness and a a deep fear that we're all alone, right? So we just perpetuate all of this pain from that. And This is an avenue. We didn't mean to do it. In my experience, this wasn't some grand plan that was like, we're going to suffer and see how we learn through that. That's not my experiences at all. It was all an innocent exploration that just, you know, continued to perpetuate and perpetuate and perpetuate. We did learn and we are learning. We have learned a great deal from this. But what's at hand now is that we don't have to suffer in the learning through this avenue. Now we can begin to heal the things that we do not want to bequeath to, you know, future generations or humanity. Humanity as a whole has finally said, okay, we're done with this path. Now we're going to go exploring some greater aspects. And when you think about in the, in the higher dimensions, they don't require pain. No. Right. You don't hear about people having near death experiences and they go up there and they talk about how they, you know, have pain with each other so they can learn. Right. So it's this pain is the thing that's very human. Like it's a very human experience. It's a very fear based separation consciousness experience. Is it rich in in learnings and deepenings and understanding? Yes. But now we're we're learning that we can have the richness of that as we heal those things to continue on to ever more expansive, much easier, uh, much more compassionate paths of exploration. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. What I think what I meant was the word contrast is I think the word I was using for us to have the word, that word I think works better for what I was trying to say, because the contrast is how you can see the difference. That's right. And you don't have to go through pain. You're absolutely right. It is a choice or it is something that you come down here to learn. But from my understanding, this is the PhD uh, schooling (laughs) down here without question, multiple PhD level learning down here because it is so intense. I had had a near-death experiencer come on once who was on the other side and they were Oh, it was a pre, excuse me. It was a pre-birth. Uh, Is this experience. Christian Sundberg? Yes. When he was, I think it was either Christian or it was somebody else. I'm not, I remember, but he, he was walking, I guess he was there on the other side and he met another soul. And I think he's like, what have you been doing? Like you've been working yeah. out at a gym. Oh, wow. Look at you. Well, yeah. I want to do that. He's like, well, you know, you got to eat right. You got to go to the gym. You got to do some good cardio. Where are you going? Oh, it's the gym called earth. Oh, I got to get that. Goes. Yeah, be careful. It ain't easy. Right. But there's there's a learning ex, you ex, expedite your learning here at a much 
rap, more rapid rate than you do on the other side when you have this kind of contrast because it's just it's the same concept of lifting a weight. The more weight you put on, the faster your muscles grow because you're being tested and pushed in ways yeah. that you wouldn't without that contrast. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I talk about in my book this idea of contrast that in my experience very early on in our evolution, um, in God's evolution, of, you know, we're exploring through contrast because if you're red and everything around you is red, you don't know right. what red is, right? So and then you encounter yellow and you're like, oh, hey, and then everything begins to, uh, you know, be possible in different ways that we can explore in different ways. So the more contrast you have, the more interesting and and deep you can go in self-exploration, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you just look at your a, a plate of food, uh, it could be just a one element or it could be a contrast of many different flavors and ideas yeah, and yeah, even yeah. cultural and things like that it makes it much more interesting. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that, this is what, this is what I find so wondrous is that, um, you know, there's one of the teachings from my guides is about appreciating the uniqueness of absolutely everyone and everything. Yes. No one like you and I, there's no one else in the history of humanity that has the perspectives that you and I do that mm -hmm. any single person does. No, this is why we're all so incredibly precious is because we offer this singular, unique experience and view of uh, all of life through this unique lens, right? It's, it's incredible. And absolutely every single thing in our world is that way. It's you, all beautifully unique. No, it, it, without question. And then if that's only on the human level, then you start going into the animal level and the plant level and all these other forms exactly. of consciousness in one way, shape or form. It is just an it's infinite yes, amount it's infinite. of perspectives of what we can, of what. That's correct. It's creator it's complete. And then let's not even start talking about the universe. <laughs> We're just talking about this. Yeah, one I was just gonna say, then you have multidimensional, right? Then we start getting into all kinds of different dimensions and the mind is like, ah, that's just too much. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. The concept of the multiverse is a, an idea that quantum physics is starting to play with and it's starting to make their head spin because it's such a difficult and complex idea that they have multiple versions of this conversation going on. I've had people on the show yeah. who are like, yeah, I'm seeing what we're doing right now, but I also see where this is over here. And I always see our, how our conversation is going over here and can go all the way to us yelling at each other to all the way us loving it. Or it's all different ways of communicating in different dimensions. I was like, your head really begins. Yeah. This is where you realize that the mind just can't grasp it. The mind just cannot grasp it. And I, I had this incredible <laughs> experience one time about, uh, I was in the nunnery in India and I was, you know, still young in my exploration of what the hell is going on. And I was asking the question in a meditation, you know, I don't understand what it means to be the light of God. Like, what, what does that even mean? Is that an actual light? Is it just using words? Like, what does that mean? And then uh, I had these two screens come up and one of them was a screen of being the light of God from the mind. And the other was being the light of God from the heart. And the mind screen was really rudimentary. It was like stick figures. And the scene was very basic. And it was just that the mind was trying to recreate what it was trying to understand. But it's not the reality. It's just this thing that's trying to understand it. 
being the light of God from the heart was really vibrant and rich and alive and just like luscious. It was the embodied experience of the light. It's the actual experience, not the idea of what the experience is. So the mind is always trying to understand the idea of what a real experience is, but it's not the actual experience. So it can't it can't get there. It can't hold the scale of all of the things that are actually possible and accessible to us because basically it's just greater aspects of ourselves. Ah, these conversations go down the, da- the deep rabbit holes, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they really do. This is why uh, when I write my books, it's it's very methodical, like just taking us, you know, we, we can't be too overwhelmed too quickly. Uh, we lay some groundwork for understanding. We can really understand the greater picture <clears throat> pretty easily, actually. So with, you know, you in your book, you talk about humanity making a choice. This is not the first time I've heard that concept as, as a whole of a consciousness, as humanity, as a, as a species, if you will, uh, making the decision of where it wants to go. And you could see that throughout current history. Uh, where it was during, let's say, Jesus's times or during the Egyptian times, and then where we are, we've been going. And it seems to be speeding up dramatically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, from the Dark Ages, only a hand, like a few hundred years later, we're flying. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> we're, we're talking on video in real time and completely across the, the world. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> across the world, you know, and, and we take it so for granted now that. You know, you and I both are old enough to know when we were kids, these things were not, you know, the internet and the phones and cell phones and remote controls for a television, a television, color TV on the television. Yeah. Don't get me started Saturday mornings, uh, (laughs) cartoons, but, um, but how things have moved so rapidly and it seems that we are, and so many people think, oh, things are getting worse. Absolutely. I completely disagree with that. Things are systematically getting better from where we tr- how we treated ourselves 200 years ago and how we treated each other like it's yeah. the same the same that's happened in technology has also happened in civil rights and you know these kinds of things and there's always this ebb and flow as everything is still adjusting but remember we're adjusting on a global scale right mm-hmm. it's a mass consciousness that's moving along here so I agree. It's phenomenally fast when you when you just look at like in our lifetimes, you know, the things that have come about in our lifetimes. It's like, oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I was I was there before the internet. I was there during the beginning of the internet. And I'm I'm now taking advantage of where we are right now. So I I my generation at least, it seems to be that in-between generation that like we know what it was like with three channels. And we know where we are now, as opposed to like my kids who I tell them, they're horror stories, three channels. You had to watch commercials. (laughs) How did you survive? I'm like, we went outside, outside. I'm like, yes, (laughs) we had the only show we all could bond on was like, you know, Gilligan's Island or, you know, some like fantasy, fantasy (laughs) Island, love boat. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. Like very, you know, teeny tiny little uh, realms of shows that we could all think the same around. And now it's like there's all kinds of influences. And think about all the the storytellers that get to tell their create, like all of the ways that creation is just like just coming in. It's just phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It, it, it really is interesting to see where this is all going. Um, I, let me ask you because I will be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, a lot of people always ask me, how, how can we make this global change? How can we keep this going? Or what do we do to help the evolution? And I always tell people is to help yourself to evolve and you, by you evolving and becoming more enlightened in your own way, you start to influence other people by doing that. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we are the source of the, the contribution that we make to the world. Like, we're always contributing something. Mm-hmm. Like, I talk a lot about what's my contribution. If you have any any situation at all, you have a, a reaction or an engagement with this experience, whether it's a tragedy in the world, whether it's a loved one or whatever. But whatever your reaction is, is your contribution to the collective. So if you are in the old mindset of rejecting or hating or blaming or whatever, that it's always others that are um, the problem, then that's your contribution. That's what you're contributing energetically to the collective and to your own environment. It is what you, as Paul Selig says, that's what you're in accord with, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about, all right, well, what's my opportunity here, right? And for some of us, maybe a responsibility, but what what is the thing that would feel more joyful to me that feels like I can contribute something more helpful, that's really aligned with what feels like my heart, what feels like my really true, genuine desire to contribute. And that is not hatred, not blame, but maybe an exploration of what else is in here that I can contribute. When we see a tragedy, that tragedy clearly, especially something like a school shooting or something like this, obviously there's love absent here. Right. So what's most needed is love. Right. So then we get to choose. All right. Am I willing to be a presence of love to see this and understand this and embrace this in a different way than we've ever done before to be um, the presence of love no matter what? Right. When we drop back into my deepest desire is a world at peace. Well, then am I contributing peace? Right. So in this way, we go to the origin of our suffering. We're not addressing the symptoms, right? Every Everything that we see, the mass shooting, even the crucifixion, that problem didn't just start right then, right? That's the result of a momentum, right? It's a momentum expressing, right? So now we can either contribute to that momentum and continue it in a different way, or we alter the course of it, right? We can contribute to the hatred or the the separation consciousness or the fear that caused it, or we can have a different reaction and stop. We can be where the buck stops, basically, right? So we contribute a different momentum. Well, if I may geek out here for a second, because you inspired me a bit. If you look at one of the greatest villains of all time in cinema, uh, Darth Vader, 
Mm. It took him six movies, six movies, the first six movies of the Star Wars uh, saga, where you saw him as a loving little boy. Mm. And he slowly transformed into who we then be, who became Darth Vader. Why lack of love? He, his mother was killed, anger, fear, all the, and it was this transformation, it was subtle. And the only thing that, sorry for the spoiler alert, if no one's seen Return <laughs> of the Jedi, um, the love of his son mm. was what brought him back. So I love when you said lack of love, it's it's so important because if you, if you see people who are angry or in pain, it's because they don't there is a lack of love or a lack of connection. Yes, they they're can, hurting. They're, they're hurting. That whatever the expression or the iteration of pain that they're expressing, this bad thing is, it's their cry for love. Yeah. It is their the loudest cry. I mean, we look out right now, there's these these big tragedies are our loudest cries for love. And it's our greatest opportunities to then find the resources within us, the connection within us, the love within us that can flow in response to this, not in a way that our mind has to figure out, but that our spirit can allow, right? That is the love coming. This is the divine love. This is not the human idea of love, but we're the avenue in. We are all these vessels, the avenue in for the divine love. This is how all of this divine presence is starting to make itself known in our world through people like you and I. What I find interesting is when you speak about divine love, for those of us who meditate and have been meditating for a long time and we're able to tap into uh, a deeper place within ourselves, at least from my experience as being a meditator, there is this thing called the, the kind of meditation of bliss where you are blissful and you're blissed out when you come out, there is this kind of level that you, it's very difficult to get that anywhere else, unless you are using some sort of drug of some sort, which is, it very pales in comparison to it, but it is a deeper level of connection and love than you get in the human experience. You could have a tremendous amount of love for people in life, but when you look into your spouse or into your children's eyes, there is a spark of the divine love inside of them. And that's what we connect to. So when you're able to, and you understand this because you've been, had your mystical experiences, when you connect to that divine love, you're like, oh, this is where it's at. Oh, this is the love that they're talking about. It's the near-death experiences talk about this constantly too, is all they felt was love. As love was the language of the other side, it is how it is. That's what you speak with is love on the other side. Mm -hmm. Again, very difficult for our brain to comprehend. Would you agree with this? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, my experience in going into the first moments of existence, my experience in the the primordial God space, if you will, is that what we call God, this life force this source if you will uh in my experience is a is a, a beautiful incredible dynamic awareness that has a singular nature and that is that it's cherishing and it is not some thing that's aware and cherishing cherishing awareness is the thing like it is the 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 substance of what we call god and uh so 
when we when people have a near-death experience or a spiritually transformative experience where you come into that presence of angels or or masters or God, and you have that really blissful, like wild blowout experience of love, it's because we've come into the purity of that cherishing awareness. And that cherishing is so pure, it's experienced as this ecstatic bliss because it's that powerful. And that's our nature. That's our source. That's what's giving us life experience. That's the thing animating every single one of us is that. So in our awakening, as our beliefs that we're separate from that begin to fall away, we begin to access more and more and more of, we get closer and closer and closer and closer to that relationship, to that embodied experience of the purity of that love. Now, how do you envision the world once this shift of consciousness reach, if it can reach its potential peak? Where are we going in your oh, I don't point know. of view? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you know. had, if you could, if you can estimate, if you can think, yeah. if you could be creative in your own perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll tell you that in part three of my book is all about what we're waking up into. And it says that. Uh, the, the guidance that came through is that so much of what is going to be happening and the, the experiencing and embodying of ever more of all that we are, we will experience the joy and wonder of it by all that is ending. So the things that are ending are related to our ideas of separation and all the effort and fear and um, all of this in our that we hold because in our we have a belief that we're separate. So we begin to the, the ideas of inadequacy begin to fall away. The idea of constant effort and achieving, that mindset begins to fall away. This separation ideologies begins to fall away. The conquering games begin to fall away. There's the, the very first experience I talk about, and I, I every single thing in here I have embodied. I have been on that sort of leading edge of what's coming. And the very first experience I talk about is the end of hell that the very idea of hell is ending. So we don't have the, the evil ideas. The we don't have good yeah. and an evil paradigm, right? That paradigm in and of itself is the key thing. This is the, the, the sort of anchoring chapters of my book talk about this good trumps bad paradigm is the actual key thing that's the work of the universe that's now beginning to transform. So we begin to end all of the suffering. We begin to end the, the things that create a constant sort of sustained sense of despair or a desire for something, you know, greater than us or whatever. We begin to rise up into so much more of our capabilities that we're not tethered or founded anymore in this weighty, despair burdened um, kind of way of life. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So it's the path of ease is basically uh, again and again and again, what I've been shown the path of ease. And it's, you know, I talk a lot about the constant state of fascination and wonder and awe and as you've probably experienced in your own journey, the further we get along in the mystical journey, the more easy that is. Like we really begin to see how incredibly fascinating it all is, not seeing it from a judgmental perspective of like, oh, my God, when is this ever going to be finished? Right. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, as as I've gone down my my own spiritual journey, <clears throat> things have become much more fascinating to me. And I've, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm a human being. I still have to deal with human being things. But judgment starts to to go away a lot yeah. more. More compassion, more empathy starts to come in, and you start to to look at life a little bit differently. When you stop, when you stop trying to control your That's journey, right. when you stop trying to control your journey, those doors start to open up. And I've just experienced it so again and again and again. Whether it's like. Okay, well, you did it that time, but this time I need to take the wheel. Uh, okay, well, you did that, but I really need to like I need to drive now. Like in that ego ego aspect of ourselves, when you start to start to let go more and more, life becomes so much more enjoyable, and you don't look for it to end. Even the even <clears throat> the quote unquote negative things as as that come into your life, you start looking at them like, what am I supposed to learn here? Right. That's you don't see them as negative. You see like, hey, you, you look like you need some attention here. What's happening? Like, right. Like, what is we this begin to relate me? to it differently. And this is, you know, this is the difference, Alex, in being led by fear, which right. is fear is the thing that needs to control. It needs order. It needs security. It needs safety. This is, you know, if you look at all of the systems of our world are built around this and it's entirely achievement oriented, you have to keep achieving to be okay. Right. You have to keep growing. You have to keep uh, getting better, getting better, because it tells us that we're not okay as we are, right? So we begin to stop being led by fear. We stop making fear make the choices for us. And we begin to just bring fear along on our journey in a very much bigger way. And I, I talk about this uh, very simply in the idea of embracing things rather than indulging them. Right, and this uh, I use an example with this the lesson on fear. And when you when people really look at honestly their lives, they begin to see how many ways fear really does control. They really do follow the choices of fear in life. But I talk about this um, embrace versus indulge in a very simple way. Uh, where I used to live in India, about an hour down the mountain range in the Himalayas, was where they have the World Paragliding Championships. And I've done it. It's fantastic. And the way that it happens is that you're up on this peak and oh. you've got an Indian guy strapped to your back and he's got a parachute strapped to his back. And then the two of you just take off running and you leap off the cliff. <laughs> now, fear is the thing that, of course, you're scared, uh, but fear is the thing that gives you that nervous exhilaration mm -hmm. as you leap off that cliff yelling, whoa, but you're still going on the adventure. Right? You're still trusting the adventure. Now, that's embracing our fear. We're like, I'm scared shitless, but I'm going to leap anyway. Indulging our fear is the thing that won't let us run off the cliff. It's the thing that holds us in place and says, no, uh, we're going to ask that fear to make our decision for us. And now we don't go on that adventure. And so this is a, now we've identified, we've aligned with fear, right? So we begin to make our decisions differently. We begin to have a larger trust, a larger surrender to a greater adventure as we begin to shift out of fear-based identity, out of alignment constantly with fear and into a greater sense of exploration and adventure. It really does feel 
like a grand adventure. Uh, Mary, I'm going to have to leave you to jump off that that ledge because I uh, I will not paraglide. <laughs> I'm sorry. I agree with the analogy, but I will not be jumping off. <laughs> we, can, we can take it to something less scary. Didn't you leap off a, a cliff when you decided to do your show? When you finally oh, yes. said, I'm just going to have to take the leap, right? Of course, yeah. Let fear make the decision about your, your path, right? Yeah. You said, I'm going to have to take this leap of faith, right? I'm a little nervous probably, and I'm going to bring fear along, but this feels like the right path. Right. It doesn't have to be so extreme. That's just a helpful example. No, no, it was. It's it, a lot of fun. It, it, no, it is. It is. Uh, I agree with you. No, it was. It was a terrifying leap for me. And that was the time that I finally understood when you let go of the wheel. Yeah. Someone's driving. Um, right. There's someone who takes that wheel and takes you to places that you could not take. Things that you were trying to do. Right. That were so hard. It's kind of like you're trying to climb a mountain. All of a sudden, this this hand just kind of lifts you up, and you're just hovering to the peak, as opposed to you like I gotta do it myself. And the hand will not interfere unless you ask for help. That's right. Until you surrender, right? This is ultimately what happened to me with my suicide attempt. Is that I had a very strong mind, like I was doing global work, and I had I could hold a lot of pieces, and I felt very intellectual and important, and all of that kind of stuff. So it took a lot for me to come out of that mind into like, all right, I, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. I have no idea, but something else just took it. Something else said, this is the path now that's available to you. And it's and this path has always felt way more normal. Right, than, but you have to walk. Right. But the thing is that a lot of people think, oh, well, I, you know, I want to control my life. I, you know, we have free will. I'm like, you do. All they do is open the road. You still got to walk it. You still got to work it. I, right. I show up every day and do these interviews and release them every, you know, every week. And I'm doing the work. But a lot of these other bigger, heavier lifting things, I kind of let other, I let yeah. the universe handle for me. Yeah. You know, if I want a guest, the guests will show up. And if they don't, it's not the time. And it's it just the way it were before I was like obsessed about, I need to get this. I think it now I just let go. And then a lot of times they'll just knock on my door. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's how it works. Okay. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> so let me ask you, what do you think the biggest challenge or obstacle is going to be for humanity in this new great shift? Well, I think we're already in that greatest obstacle, which is, you know, we face a lot of confusion because we haven't been here before. Nobody has the manual, right? Nobody's like, well, let's look and see what we did last time and how that worked. We we haven't been here before. And so we're already we're already very confused. Look at in our world how prevalent this fake news or that's not true or like all of the like what's true anymore? What's real anymore? There's a lot of confusion coming up with that. And anybody who's had metaphysical experiences has some measure of that like oh my god i need to what isn't what's real what's so there's a there's a level of confusion that we're all in this great confusing soup right now this chaotic soup right now and that's going to continue until we have the ability more and more within ourselves to access that greater perspective 
on what's happening. So I think the greatest challenge is having some patience and trust through this process and being able to trust what you come in to realize within yourself. I think for all of us, that's probably the biggest challenge. Now, Mary, I'm going to ask you a few questions to ask all my guests. Okay. What is your definition of living a fulfilled life? You know, I think everybody's doing the best that they can. <clears throat> I think everybody's dealing with different levels of capability, different lenses, filters, you know. So I think everybody's doing the best that they can. But I think that the the life that feels most perhaps fulfilled or easiest is one in which we've just let ourselves, let everything in us be free from our ideas of how we thought we should be and really just let the love that we are live unabashedly through us. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. If you had a chance to go back in time and talk to little Mary, what advice would you give her? <laughs> um, I know it looks hard now, but you're going to have an amazing life. <laughs> Strap in. <laughs> it's going to be one hell of a <laughs> ride. <laughs> Buckle up, babe. How do you define God? Uh, <clears throat> this is an answer that I could go into for a really, really long time, especially with my guides. But um, in my experience, and I can only ever talk about things that I've experienced because I don't have any kind of theological background. <clears throat> God is, I know that people say God is everything, but God is creator that which is created and that which is created for. So it's all God. And in my own experience, as I said earlier, my experience of God is this dynamic awareness with a cherishing nature. So all of life, the movement of life is this cherishing awareness, seeking to be aware of and cherish all there is to be aware of and cherish. So this is creator, creation and that which is created for this cherishing of all of it and what is the ultimate purpose of life well you know from the highest perspective in the moment of why we exist in the first place is simply to be all that we are right in the living of all of our potential everything's possible and so what is that everything it's the ultimate purpose is the experience of all that we are. And where can people find out more about you, the amazing work you're doing, and your wonderful book, Humanity's Epic Awakening? Epic Awakening. They can visit lovemaryread.com. And my courses and books and YouTube channel and blog and all of that stuff is on there. Mary, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, do you have any parting messages for everybody, anybody, for the audience? Um. Yeah, you know, I think that this world can feel really heavy and serious, but I can assure you that there's a lot of playfulness in the divine realms that we in our own nature have a lot of playfulness. So the more that we can tap into that and try not to take everything so deeply serious, it really does help. 
And playfulness is a very open, embracing kind of energy. So we're just saying to the universe, yeah, let's have some fun together. So lighten up and have some fun. Thank you again for being on the show. And thank you for the amazing work you're doing and helping humanity awaken, my dear. Thank you again. You too. Thank you, Alex. It's a joy. I want to thank Mary so much for coming on the show and sharing her knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 315. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.